Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast and episode number 56. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of the Rootless Living magazine. On this episode, I get to chat with Scott and Renee from Up For The Journey, and today they talk about how they launched their own product that allowed them to hit the road full-time. But like always, before I say too much, let's get into the episode. All right, with that, I want to welcome Scott and Renee to the show. How are you guys? Good, how are you? Hey. I'm cold. It's like 27 out. I'm an old school SoCal kind of kid, so this isn't really all that great. And uh, the one thing that people probably don't know about recording a podcast is you got to turn off your heaters for good audio. So this is going to be a fun, you know, 45 minutes for me, but I'm excited to have you guys on. So if you hear my teeth chattering, it's not that I'm that excited. It's just that I'm cold. Well, we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. We're in Florida and we had to turn off the AC so you don't hear the AC in the background. So we're starting to warm up in the RV. <laughs> this is not off to a good start. <laughs> I'm so jealous well, of you, you guys got right now. And we're sweating. but i have no defense my home's on wheels If it was really that bad i could leave so but it's great that you guys are in florida um are you guys there just for the winter or what's your kind of schedule down in florida uh we are here for the winter um we kind of move around a little bit throughout the winter and then uh, we're not too sure what we're doing come march we'll either go up north to michigan or start making our way up north or stay down here. It depends on how the new COVID lockdown rules go after the new year and whatnot. No, without a doubt. Well, let's go back to, do you guys consider yourself a part-time, sometime full-timers? Oh, definitely full-timers. Yeah, we sold our house, uh, I guess almost two years ago or a year and a half ago. Yeah. So we're definitely full-time. Um, we have no like official home base. We just travel, usually before COVID, we would travel week to week. We've, tra- we've been staying a little bit longer in some spots right now with COVID. But um, yeah, we're definitely full-time. Nice. And let's go back to a year and a half, two years ago. Let's talk about your life. Where did you live? What kind of house did you have in regards to like size? I think that's always interesting. And what were you guys doing for work that let you transition to full time? You know, we lived in Panama City Beach, Florida. We had a, you know, pretty cool little, what we considered our little dream house down the street from the beach. And we, we loved it. Um, Renee and I started a house and condo cleaning business that Renee made very successful. And I kind of worked in, um, I'm going to call it Florida corporate, but it was more of, um, beach resort management. And I was working over in the 30 a area in a couple of the beach resorts there. And, um, that's kind of how we lived our life all year round, just on the beach, either in the water or at least, you know, just on the sand. And that doesn't really, sound, really sound like a life yeah. people try to get away from. Sounds like you guys had a pretty, <laughs> a pretty cool thing going on. What made you guys think about, you know, full-time RVing? Well, ironically, we never thought about RVing, yet alone full-time RVing. So I actually started a little business just to fund me for a new surfboard. And, um, it actually took off. And when we started, uh, to decide to do more sales and stuff like that, it kind of forced us to get out of the panhandle of Florida. It just took off from there. It went from staying in hotels, then having to go back after a week to go feed our dogs and relieve the dogs or relieve the dog sitters because they were getting fed by dog sitters. But then, um, I, I really hope Pete is not listening because he'd be gone for a week. We'd have to get back to feed the dogs. Yeah. yeah that came out a little different. We'll have to edit that one. No, I get it. I get it. No, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. 
But yeah, we had a really cool young couple that they stayed at our house for a week or two weeks, but you know, that was their limit. And they're like, Hey, we want to go back to our house. We would come back. You know, another salesperson was like, Hey, why don't you get an RV? And we were like, nah, we really don't want an RV. Then we got a small one and it was nice because then we can bring the dogs with us and stay out as long as we want. Now, still selling our house was never a thought to live and travel or travel full time in an RV. So it was just kind of happenstance. And then um, I think what Hurricane Michael hit, Mm -hmm. Hurricane Michael hit in 2018 that wiped out the panhandle. And we had one of those moments when we were evacuated on our friend's farm. And we both looked at each other and kind of in tears saying, you know, we're pretty much going to lose our house. You know, thank God we didn't. But um, we were prepared that everything we owned and had was just in the RV and we were actually okay with that. So we found a bigger RV on accident on the new year of 2019. And that's what we're living in now. So real quick, what was the the first RV and what do you have now? Uh, first RV was a gray, wolf. a gray wolf by Forest River. It was, uh, you know, we had the idea that many RVers do is we'll buy a toy hauler and use the toy hauler section as a office or storage, but, it was only a 25 foot from bumper to tongue. So yeah. It wasn't a big one. I, I didn't want to start big. I was really afraid of, you know, Scott driving this RV and everything. So we had a 25 foot with no quads. Yeah, it was tiny. So um, when Renee suggested to go full time, I said, I don't have a problem with that, but it's not going to be in this tiny shoebox. Although some people do it in much smaller RVs, it just wasn't for us. <laughs> I like the asterisk. I mean, it is funny how. I'm in a 41 foot and which I, you know, considered, and I say it on the show all the time, it looks like a condo on wheels. And, but if you would have talked to me 10 years ago and said, could you live in 400 square feet? I'd be absolutely, you're insane. So even to go to 400 to a hundred, I probably could do it now because of going down in size. So what was that like going from a 25 foot to how big is the, the toy hauler now? Well, actually, we don't have a toy. We oh. moved to a, um, we actually moved to a Grand Design Reflection. Oh, nice! It's a travel trailer. It's the biggest one they make. It's like 30, 38 foot, something mm-hmm. like that. Nice. So it's big. You know, three slides, twice the refrigerator size, oven. You know, all the nice little luxuries that you want. And the transition was like, we don't have enough stuff to fill this. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting to see that how we live so minimal in a tiny one and then we moved to a bigger rv but um you know the only challenges were you know obviously operating slides for the first time and not forgetting that they were out um and then just towing it learning how to tow just a bigger rig and backing in a bigger rig for that big without a doubt yeah did you guys have any rv experience before uh the small <laughs> one or did you guys just jump into it no, we were just talking with another couple we met just this past weekend about how we got started. And I was joking, saying how I had this grand idea we'd start going camping before all this had started. And I bought a tent and I was ready to go and I was going to start getting the sleeping bag and the airbags. And then I had a real quick thought in Florida that there's lots of snakes. And that's as far as camping ever went. Yeah. We bought a tent. <laughs> that's amazing. And, it, yeah. and then yep. reminded yourself about snakes. I love it. Yeah. So that, that, um, that tent we had for a couple of years and then it got sold when we had the big sale of uh, opening the doors to our house, say everything must go. And 
ironically, that tent got sold and has failed. <laughs> That's amazing. How big was the the house that you guys sold? How many square foot were uh, you? 13, 12 or 1300 square foot. Livable. It had a two car garage. I think around 16 total um, house square foot. Yeah. Gotcha. Still it, it was nice. It was in a cul-de-sac, you know, had the kids playing on the street. You know, we had a neighbors established. And again, it was right down the street from the beach where I can surf, fish, paddleboard, exercise, do whatever we want. And what, are there a lot of RVs kind of in your neighborhood? I feel like, and again, this is me speaking from like a, a West Coast mindset, but you know, when you're <laughs> in an area that has the potential of having evacuations because of, you know, storms and stuff. It seems like when I'm in those areas, I notice an RV like on every house, like on the side, like they're ready to go. Was that a thing you know, in kind of your neighborhood or no? It's funny. Um, we never paid attention to it because we weren't RVers, but in the panhandle, it's a little different than further south. So, you know, there, there's the big thing is there's North Florida and South Florida. It's literally like two states. It's kind of like the difference of, the Bay area of California and then orange County of Southern California. They're like two totally different Californias. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think there's only three RV parks that are like destination RV parks on the panhandle. And of course, you know, central to South Florida, they're, they're every corner. Right. So we really didn't see that until we started traveling towards uh, central to South Florida, that there's RVs everywhere. Gotcha. I've only been to Florida a couple times and I've never actually met anyone from Florida. I'm always meeting, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, I'm always meeting <laughs> people that are obviously transplanted to live there, but mostly I meet Canadians and New Yorkers when I've been there. You know, yeah, it's a very rare find to find someone who's grown up and lived in their whole life in Florida. My first Florida moment was the silver alerts. I didn't know what those were. And I, I saw that and I was, it was like, a, it was like an amazing one where it was like, a, like a golf cart, like a guy on a golf cart had been missing for like three days. It's, 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 if that's your grandpa, it's a little scary, but when you read it like on a billboard as you're driving those electronic billboards yes. where it's like, look on the light for an 85 year old white male, six foot two in a golf cart. It's been missing three days. Oh my God, you're making me cry, dude. Because our we, our first time traveling to South Florida, we were like, what the hell is a silver alert? We know what it's amber. And we were joking. We were joking saying it was an old person with the gray hair. And then we Googled it and we're like, oh my God, it is a really missing old person. <laughs> they named it right, for sure. And, and it was great too, because when we were there, they found him. It was like on the local news. Because you do feel like, I felt guilty. I was making fun of it. I'm laughing. Yeah. And then I'm like, exactly. oh shoot, this is someone's loved one that's missing. But then ultimately, it's just, it, they, they needed to come out with a different, I don't even understand why it's not part of Amber. I mean, it's a missing person. It doesn't have yeah. to, we have to categorize them, you know? Yeah, we're, we're going to have to age them up like an ethyl alert as opposed to an amber alert or yeah. something. We have, a, we have a Sasquatch alert. Uh, Jimmy, who's six foot eight, is missing. Yeah, like, they don't need to do them. All right, so, all right, so you got the trailer. You guys are, you're heading out, but it sounds like you guys created a little bit of an income that required you guys to do some traveling. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about this. I want to start a project so I can buy a surfboard, but it looks like it turned into a business. <laughs> yeah, that was the funny part. Um, a friend of mine who owned a surf shop, we kind of came up with this idea. We we now call the company Freedom Handles. We pretty much hand make handles for like the Yeti and Turvis tumbler type cups. You know, back in the day, Yetis were all the rage before any of the other cups were out there and they didn't have handles. So 
you know, Renee laughed at me and said, Hey, my buddy and I were making these so I can buy a new surfboard and a wetsuit. And she's like, whatever, just don't use our money. And we started making money off of it. And she started laughing because the salesman in me was like, we could sell this. And I went down to the, some of the local stores and a local liquor store, which was a very popular liquor store. I approached the owner just on, you know, one of those whims kind of guerrilla marketing type thing. I said, Hey, I have these, I see you sell the handles. I would love to put them in. And he looked at me and says, who makes them? I said, my, my, me and my buddy do local here in Panama city beach. And he says, I want five of every SEC team here, you know, the Alabama, LSU, all of them. And I, you know, my mind, I was kind of like stunned and about to uh, freak out because we've never made that many at one time. And I said, okay, we'll have them to you by the end of the week. And he wrote a check and I brought it home to Renee and she said, what did you do for this money? And I said, remember those stupid handles? And uh, <laughs> since then she's perfected the handle because you know us guys, we always need work on. So um, we got that and it just started taking off and someone told us about craft shows and we started going to craft shows and we kind of found our niche and craft shows and local mom and pop owned stores that carry like the Turvis tumblers, the corksicle cups, Turvis cups. They buy them from us and they put them in their stores and they love them because they're all colorful and they match their cups. That's amazing. What a fun kind of niche to, to get into. And I love the story of like the, the side hustle in the sense of, Hey, we're just going to do this to earn a little bit of side income. And then it turns yeah. into a business. I love those stories. And I think it, I think one of the reasons I think those are successful is because you're not putting the pressure of, I've got to make this a huge business. You know, you, exactly. just, you just let it go. And I think if more people did that with their mindset of their businesses, if they didn't put the pressure on it, like from day one, uh, but I think Renee's advice was really good too. Like, just don't use our money. Like if you can figure out a way how to <laughs> take the money from the sales and put it back in the company and let it grow with no real pressure, you'll see some great success. And that's pretty much what it was. We kept rolling the money back in and buying more, you know, supplies and selling and actually not getting into that type of genre of business before, you know, we've had brick and mortar stores where I owned a landscape company, you know, Renee, we had the uh, condo and house cleaning business. We never made anything like manufactured a product. So with us hand making the items, you know, we kind of priced it low. And the gentleman Lee who owned the liquor store, he says, you're selling these too cheap. And I was like, wait a minute, what? You're not going to buy them. And he said, no, you raise your prices, you will sell them. And you know, he helped us out. And we've had a huge, huge outpour of support for us because, you know, a local business was making it and it was filling a niche, especially in the South with the Yeti cups everywhere. Right. Right. So, absolute blast and when we started traveling we had nothing but support from everybody no one told well a few people told us we were crazy for selling you know the dream house in air quotes to go in an rv to travel so it was it was fun we we don't look back and regret anything we actually keep looking forward going man we don't ever want to own a house again yeah i i think it's it I go back and forth between that kind of mode. Like what I want, what I want a home base where I can just go back for a couple months, you know, especially maybe like a winter or summer place and then, you know, do some things on the rig, that kind of stuff. And I, I go back and forth in it, but right now full-time RVing is really kind of where it's at, especially running a business. I mean, I, I could see your business as being very beneficial. Maybe, maybe not outside of, you know, COVID obviously yeah, you know, with yeah. shows and things like that slowing down. Now, so you get into the business. I mean, people are asking you to do like, you know, 
college type stuff and things like that. Did you have to start doing, uh, you know, either patents or trademarks or anything of that nature, or are you guys just free flowing still and just going with it? Once we started getting a little bigger and decided I quit my job and I started to do it full time, we really got advice from other people who were in manufacturing type business. And they said, you really need to try for a patent and you really need to trademark this because, you know, nowadays everything can be copied from overseas and whatnot and everything will be copied. So we did go through the patent process. Um, it's still in progress because it's such a long progress right? or long timeline to do that stuff. But we do have trademarks and we do have, what's the term, I guess, copyright protection or... We got the trademark and then the attorney told us how to do a, uh, she called it a poor man's patent. So we do have that. We have patent protection on copies and we do have a couple copycats out there, but they're nowhere near the quality of what we do. So we're really not worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I think what I've learned in, you know, the years of, coming up with ideas and thinking, okay, you know, if I just lock this in, I think I've learned that the way the patents work, I mean, if someone makes just a slight change to it, adds Velcro, puts a zipper, it, it like exactly. changes the patent. And so you spend a lot of time worrying, but I'm just, I'm grateful to hear that you guys just still went out and did it because there are people that literally sit in pause hold mode while they try to get this patent stuff together. And then someone else is just going to come along and do it. So you might as well just run with it. And, uh, you know, if someone wants to copy you, there's not much you can do. You just keep going. Yeah. Be, the, be the first, be the original. And, you know, we always said we're, we are going to be the best. We When we decided to do this, what, five five years ago now? Coming up on, Coming five, up on five years. Summer. Yeah, we told ourselves we are going to use the best absolute product. Every material that, it, every piece of material that is used to make this handle, we will make sure that it is 100% made in the USA on top of us making it in Florida, now in whatever state we park the RV at. But we told ourselves, because if someone does copy us, it's going to be a lesser product. So that has actually helped us when we see someone try to copy us and they buy lesser quality materials and a customer will come in and say, hey, your handle failed. And we, can, we have three things that we immediately identify that we can tell it's not our product. But we still help them out. We give them a discount on a new freedom handle or on a freedom handle as opposed to a, a copied one. And they immediately know the difference. We have a lot of reviews and people telling us, they're like, oh my God, we bought one off of uh, uh, Amazon and we can definitely tell that it's a lesser quality. I gotcha. That's awesome. Now, is it scalable if it's just you two hand making them or is that going to be just part of the process is having you know, a U.S.-based kind of factory that can do the same quality as you guys later? Or what's your guys' kind of plans? We actually hand make them. We still have one employee, the original gentleman who helped us out. He's retired military, so he helps us out. But it's just the three of us. Um, we, Renee and I, actually, Renee was up this morning making some handles, replenishing our stock. And right before you gave us a call here for this podcast, we um, did a couple of handles for an order to ship out this afternoon. You know, the only thing I think I would encourage you guys, if you want some cool little fun marketing advice, is that people really lose their mind because the magazine gets shipped from so many different places. So my subscribers are like, hey, this one says it was stamped in Indiana. This one says it was stamped in Oregon. I think run with that. If you guys are making these in different states, I think that's kind of fun. Like, you know, there's a story behind that, that they're not just yeah. all made. I mean, they're all made in the USA, but you just don't know what state yours will technically 
get made in, unless there's some sort of weird tax laws, then don't do that. Don't take my no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because our tag on the handle that we made, it says, you know, handmade with pride in Florida. But when we go to Wisconsin and we go to Michigan or we go to Indiana, or even when we go to Georgia, you know, they're like, oh, you make them in Florida. And I said, well, ironically, this batch was made here in Michigan because we made these in the RV. You know, and we say that we like, you know, this handle could have possibly been made in Georgia or this one could have possibly made in Indiana. You know, we tell them like we make them in the RV wherever we're at. And then they go, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I think if you with our that, yeah. made in Florida, it does spawn that question, but it turns into such a positive response that we never thought about changing it yet because it's always just been a fun, positive response to it. Right, right. Yeah, I think it would be hard to put like, you know, we're, you know, on a label every different state. But if there's something fun we could do where you add like a little piece of paper, these were made in Michigan or, you know, that kind of a thing. I think people, yeah, use yeah. especially when it comes around school stuff, are you guys getting uh, licensings for that stuff or, um, and if you're not, don't answer it. <laughs> no, we don't get licensing for it and we don't print any school stuff on it because, and you can edit this out. Um, it's almost $10,000 to get licensing to use a logo or to say this is X team. And then they have to take a portion of that. So we don't do any logos or anything like that. The attorney yeah. just said we could say they're team white. That's all we can say. So the orange and blue could represent, you know, Gators, but in another state, it could represent another team. So we never call it anything. We just say a team white color. Right, right. No, that's really smart. I, I had a friend that did a, an amazing shirt where it was uh, bears attacking basically Roman soldiers. So clearly it was UCLA versus USC, but because <laughs> it was just bears and, you know, soldiers and it was those colors, there's not much they could do because it wasn't the mascot and it didn't say UCLA or USC. And I thought it was really brilliant, you know, and that's really smart too, just to do the colors because yeah. that's yeah. what people yeah. are excited about. Yep. Very smart. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I'll leave it in. I think it's smart for people to understand that, you know, the licensing really does get expensive because I don't think people realize how many teams there are, how many schools there are, and just how to do it just becomes a nightmare. And what will probably happen is probably one of the other companies will do it, but not get the license and then get knocked out anyway. So it's. And we're, we're starting to see that now they're putting little charms on it with the teams and like, Hey, you can go ahead and take that chance. We don't want to. Right. We're not, we're not making that much money where we can pay that kind of lawsuit. <laughs> Without a doubt. Now, how are you guys set up making them in the rig? It sounds like you obviously have a tra travel trailer. Did you guys just set up an area to be able to work on them in the rig or is it still mostly getting made in Florida? And then you guys are piecing them together there. It's parts around the RV. Um, <laughs> we originally, when we bought this RV, we thought we wanted a bunkhouse to have like an actual room. But then uh, once we found the model we bought, the 315 RLTS, the front of the nose is a massive closet. And I realized I can use that for a lot of storage for our work stuff. So we have all our paracord and tote. And um, we just store it in there. And then we have the bungee material and another cabinet in the living room. So um, like if you walked in the RV, you would never see anything. It's all just hidden away. But um, since it's a small process to make the handle we can just kind of put everything in little cabinets and and we just order you know some stuff as we need it we don't have you know like you know five thousand feet of bungee on hand we get a thousand foot roll at a time and then once we're like halfway through that roll order another thousand foot roll 
and kind of keep doing that. When we had the house, I mean, we'd have boxes stacked full of the bungee, but oh being in the RV, we just don't have that room. So we've got to kind of prioritize a little better, and I have to keep the better um, handle on the paracord and the stock and everything. If I see we're getting low, I got to order stuff, and then I got to figure out in our travels where we're going to be and get it shipped ahead to that next campground. So when we get there, the materials are there for us. I see what you did there. Keep a handle on your handle stock. I, get it. I like it. I like, well played. Right? I like that. <laughs> well, normally I like to do this kind of at the end, but in and around the business, I think it's important to do it now. And again, this all be linked down in the comments. Like where can people find the freedom handle? Where can people go? We have a website. It's called myfreedomhandles.com. And you can pretty much see every single handle that we make with a colorway. And we also accept any other suggestions on a colorway that you don't see? I mean, we do everything from a solid color to pattern colors, and it's real easy checkout. So it's called myfreedomhandles.com, and you'll see different pictures, and you'll see our Instagram feed of stuff, what we do, and also our schedule of where we will be. Right now, it's only tentative till March, but where we will be geographically selling the handles and where our retail locations are. That's awesome. And you guys, a big part of it is obviously going to craft shows that are on hold, but that's part of your 2021 plan. If those start to reopen. Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Okay. Well, we, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. We start back up um, next week, this, this, weekend. this weekend. Yeah. This weekend we have a few Florida shows, you know, in the next upcoming weekend. So we're pretty excited to get back in the routine of that. However long that routine lasts. I gotcha. Oh, I totally understand. Well, let's transfer over to explore a little. So when you guys aren't traveling and when you're not working, what are you guys doing for fun? I mean, are you still surfing, Scott? Is that still part of the lifestyle? <laughs> you know, my surfboard is in the truck in a surf bag. Um, ironically, when we were in Michigan, I got to surf Lake Michigan. Um, that was always been a weird bucket list of mine is growing up surfing in Southern California, but we don't go to the um, east coast of Florida too much where I can get surf, but um, I do, we definitely do a, a ton of kayaking. I do a lot of cycling, um, gravel biking and mountain biking, and, you know, Renee runs, and we'll go on little bike rides together, but we like to kayak a lot. Like, we were literally just talking about um, next weekend or next week going to kayak around to go see some of the manatees. Nice. Yeah, I did that in Saab. I want to say a 14 foot gator that came off the ground yeah. and came right at me. And yep. I can handle sharks for some reason. I think it's the West coast in me that can handle sharks, but <laughs> man, gators are no joke. And I'll say this too. I don't think I've said this on the show, how stupid I was. I don't know where I thought I learned this, but I think someone once said that as long as you're not on the shore, gators won't attack you. And that made sense because every time you watch National Geographic, it's always like, you know, some elk or something that's going to not elk, but you know what I mean? Going to the water and then the gator comes yeah. up and grabs it. And yep. I, you see these guys with paddle boards and they're just paddle boarding around in the same area where there's 14 foot gators. And I'm like, I, I, I consider myself a decent paddle board, but I'm not paddle boarding in and around where there's gators because I do fall in every once in a while. And I learned really quickly too, that they run really fast. <laughs> Someone told me they saw me like lacing up my shoes and they were like, what are you doing? Well, in case it like runs, I'll run it. They're like, you're not out running that. I mean, unless you zigzag, you just won't. Yeah, be able to exactly. do it. I thought that was um, we do where we do paddle in the Springs. I mean, there's gators on the side of the, you know, on the shore and they stay there. They pretty much stay there. And if you happen to 
it's let's say it's really shallow, like two or three feet of water, and there's one happen to be on the bottom and it's not paying attention. I mean, if you go over it without knowing, it will swim away and just kind of go away. Mm. You know, when you're out in the springs and there's not really where there's a lot of uh, human contact, they just pretty much leave you alone. I bet. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other thing too. I mean, my understanding is it's very rare that an adult size person will get attacked or grabbed by them because they like to go after smaller prey anyways. They're smart animals. Yeah. It's just like anything else. Unless you feed it, it's not going to come with you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We have an alligator at the RV park right right now. I mean, they're everywhere in Florida. Yep. Right. Right. And that's what I think, honestly, it's one of the best things about Florida is that they are like everywhere and you can see them and some are so huge and so big and just out in the wild. It, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. unbelievable. Or you're just like, the, these are dinosaurs. Stop trying to call them alligators. These are dinosaurs. Yeah. yeah and they are very large and very powerful. Where of, um, I, I love that you're still surfing out of Michigan, Lake Michigan. I never would have thought to do that. I was in the Carolinas for a while. I was really itching. I don't own a surfboard anymore. So that's really cool. Um, where do you guys normally kind of, I guess we'll back up a little into travel when you're not in Florida, what's been kind of your schedule since full time? Like how many States have you been to? How often do you stay somewhere? Well, two years ago we left Florida and made our way up to Michigan kind of slowly. Um, we stopped in Georgia, Carolinas. And a lot of times when we do these kind of trips, we're working in work. So we're doing a weekend here and then we'll go somewhere else for the weekend. And then we just made our way up to Michigan. Um, that was supposed to be our plan for this uh, this past summer as well. We were going to go swing out to Cape Cod Knox and see some family and then make our way through New York and see um, Niagara Falls and then get to Michigan. But COVID kind of changed that. And we ended up spending pretty much the whole summer on Cape Cod. We did go up to the um, New Hampshire White Mountains for a little bit and or up there and do some hiking. But um, usually just to go north to get out of the heat and in work, basically, is what our plans usually are. When you guys are stopping at like, whether it's a rest stop or just, you know, in your area, are you guys going out and selling, just cold calling on people and showing it to them and seeing if they want to start carrying it? Um, we do look for a few retailers. That's where Scott usually will step in. Yeah, I do. I usually look for locally owned mom and pop type businesses or like a true value, sometimes true value hardware. But most of the time I, we will, if we see kind of like that vibe and we see you know, just like any salesman, you kind of look at any little parameters that would make it a good place for your product. And there's been times when people see us in public with them and they ask us and they're like, hey, we have a friend who owns a shop. They would love to put them in there. So it's not hard to sell them out in public, especially if we carry them with us everywhere. And a lot of people still haven't seen them. So we get questions all the time. Hey, where did you get that handle? And, you know, we tell them. And then it just turns into a one lead after another lead and, you know, spread them out word of mouth. I love the story. Wasn't to plan to build a business. I love that the story wasn't planning to go full-time RVing and yet here you are <laughs> and it's working together for both because I do. I mean, I, I like to call this out. I think people are hearing it, but I think a lot of people think there has to be a lot of planning to start a business and that you have to do like a massive amount of sales in order to, you know, finance a lifestyle that's traveling in an RV. And, or there needs to be a lot of planning to selling a home and buying an RV and making the transition. And really, I get for some people, it does take a lot of planning. That's just the way their nature is. And there's nothing wrong with that, but you really can do it, you know, rather quickly. I mean, you know, business over five years, congrats. There's, I mean, I think 95% of businesses don't last five years. So you guys are already in the top 5%. And if you just keep, you know, mowing on it, 
I mean, you guys, it sounds like you guys are having a ton of fun making a product you really enjoy traveling yep. the country, which we all know is pretty amazing lifestyle. And it does make it easier if you have to go to shows. It just seems like it's an easier way to do it as long as you're not, you know, ping ponging back and forth from coast to coast for some reason. But yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm definitely in a route. So we're not doing that. Like if we know we're going to go to Michigan this summer, we'll look for shows in the Carolinas, Tennessee to kind of pit stop each weekend to do shows to get us up to Michigan. So we're not just going to Michigan and say, hey, let's go to, you know, California for a show. We'll, we'll have a set route that we'll go and that'll put us in route to get to Michigan. Right, right. And I also like that where you guys are coming from, I mean, you know, kind of that beachy resort kind of vibe in Florida um, and leaving. I think a lot of people think, well, I would go full time RVing if I lived in a you know small little town in the Midwest. You know, I'd want to go out yeah. and see it. But it's neat to hear. I mean, me being from Los Angeles and you guys being from where I think people say that that's their dream. And I'm doing air quotes, too. I, I hope to move you know, within walking distance to the beach, whether Florida, California, the Carolinas, Oregon, wherever. And you guys already had that life and still said, you know, let's one, let's one up it a little, let's do something a little different and better for us. And I love that you guys aren't even thinking about, you know, owning a home for a while again. Which is very cool. <laughs> hey, you know, when it only takes 15 minutes to vacuum the RV and you have less dishes and less stuff. less stuff, it's way easier to clean the RV. Like when Renee tells me she goes somewhere and says vacuum and clean the RV, I really don't put up a fight anymore because it's not going to take me all day to clean the house or clean the RV as it did. It used to do the house, you know, you got to vacuum up sand and you got to vacuum up footprints on the tile and stuff. So it's a lot easier and a lot more fun for me to clean the RV. <laughs> and I, I apologize to listeners. I know I've repeated this, but this is one of those things that I wish we all got to experience in our twenties. I think if we all learned like living with a smaller footprint and not in some weird, like tree hugging kind of way, I just yeah, mean yeah, yeah. in time management, the amount of time I look back on my own life, in, in let's say 40 years of being in you know, apartment condos and homes, the amount of time I spent cleaning or yard work or all that stuff. It's just, yeah. it's a lifetime. It literally is probably yeah. 10 years of my life doing that stuff. And you're yeah. right now in an RV, it, it stays very clean because you're forced to kind of clean it at least every time you move. Or, or you have a furry dog like us. Right. So you get the almost every day. <laughs> no, but the moving definitely right um with us moving every week every few days before COVID I would go around and do a good cleaning and now I have to like where we're not moving as much I'm like okay today's gonna be my cleaning day and do that cleaning I would do if we were moving so I do miss the moving part because it would make me clean everything because when we got to an RV spot I always like to have the RV clean and ready to go for the next place yeah no I, I feel like that's what keeps me kind of you know I, I notice that when it's at its let's say dirtiest it's when I've been somewhere for like a month Oh God. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you're just not doing it. And I always like the the look of it when we first get to a, a new spot and you know, we open the slides and we haven't done anything yet. I'm like, and this place is really big and spacious before we start pulling things out of the cabinets. Like <laughs> we got to figure a way how to keep things in the cabinets. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just cleaned the under um, the front compartment to get everything back in. Cause we leave Friday here where we're at. And I'm like, wow, I stuffed a lot of stuff in here and I cleaned it out. I'm like, wow, look at all the room we have. I said the same thing yesterday. That's pretty, pretty good. No doubt. Well, <clears throat> one of the things I like to do too is a, uh, what we call the high low. Um, I like to talk about someone's low on the road. And I do this just because I think Instagram, most of us are just posting the highs and, and there are lows in the life, but uh, the little rules here are, it can't be a COVID related or cell phone or flat tire related, but what's been, uh, <laughs> 
what's been a low maybe that you didn't expect in this lifestyle for you guys, you know, whether physically, mentally, financially, whatever, what's been a low in the lifestyle? Um, I know for me personally, I'm a very social, active, sanguine, extrovert, whatever you want to call it. And where we live in the cul-de-sac, you know, I can open up the garage and I know the boys are coming over and we can talk about fishing, have a beer. Or if I'm out mowing the yard, I know someone's going to walk over and we're going to talk. Um, part of me misses that where I can open up the garage and I know my neighbor Brandon and Ernie are going to come over and they're like, yo, you got a beer? Let's talk. Let's go fishing. Look what I did. You know, just that. I don't want to say scheduled camaraderie, but the predictable camaraderie that you just get used to as a person like myself, who's a very outgoing, I can talk to anybody. You can put me in a field with people who no one knows anybody and I can go talk to anyone and try to make friends and try to be happy and just kind of set that vibe. But Renee, what do you think? I know you're pretty quaint in the house as it is. We're totally opposite in personality wise. And you don't um, have to, you don't have to make up a low either, Renee. If there's not one that's just popping out where it's like this is different than the old life. I mean, I guess too. we had an incident once. It's only happened once to us, luckily, where we literally had to leave two different RV parks because uh, in the same day because our rig was just too big, even though they said they could accommodate us. Mm. So I think just that day in particular always stands out. Um, just the stress of, you know, we thought we were at one place, it didn't work out. So like, okay, so then we found another arrangement to go somewhere else and that wasn't working out. And it was just like, kind of one of those days where it's like, why are we doing this again? It's like, you know, <laughs> this is insane. And I think that was the same day when we finally got to the, the park, we opened up the slide and um, <laughs> cherries had fallen out of the fridge and they were all squishing under the slide. There was cherry juice falling down the RV. And it was just a moment of like, why that. did we sell our house to make this crazy decision? But then every other time it's been awesome and it's like, this is why we do it. I forgot about the chair. Yeah, we, that was a pretty rough day. Yeah, it was. And we didn't have food. We didn't have water because we thought, oh, we're only going like an hour or two down the street. So we've learned a lesson. Always have food on hand. So yeah, it was an interesting day. That's what I refer to as like the full-time days. Like we have these moments yeah. that he really, unless you're a full-timer, um, and I, I bet it happens to obviously weekenders and sometimes, you know, but it's just different when you just have an expectation of the travel day and it turns into that kind of a nightmare. Um, yeah. so that's a good one. Well, let's talk about the highs. This one actually is hard for people too, cause there's so many, yeah. but what has been that? I can't believe this is our life kind of moment. I think when we meet so many cool people on the road. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, we meet, um, we just met a couple this weekend, you know, we were just in the Carolinas for a month. We met a really cool couple and just the friendships we make out of these people that we ended up meeting just on the whim or through Instagram that, Hey, we're in the same park. Let's meet up. And just the friendships we get to meet and we still keep in touch through the years and meet up when we're back in those towns and cities and stuff. Do you guys know about Nomad Near Me? I don't think so. Yeah. So the less junk, more journey. We have, um, Android. We don't have Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's coming soon. And I, it's been, it's really cool, especially with people like you're saying that you've, you've met and you become friends with. It just, it is a little easier to keep an eye when it's like, wow, we're only like 50 miles, which is nothing in nomad life where you're like, wow, you're 50 miles. Let's like meet halfway and we'll kayak or hang out. So yeah. 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 They're working hard to get the Android up. It's tough to, both those apps as I create an app for the magazine, I'm like, man, you really got to roll them out at the same time. 
you're just going to make 50% of the population really unhappy, no matter which side you pick. Yeah, exactly. A high for myself that, that I've come to realize is, you know, a lot of people, when they think of full-timing, the first thing they say that we get is like, oh, how many national parks you've been to? I was like, well, we haven't. But let me tell you about these tiny little cool towns that we've been to that know that you would have driven right past that we've stayed in the RV park. And some of our favorite places have been towns, small towns that you wouldn't think to stop in that have the best breweries, the best restaurants and some of the coolest, just little down home feeling that it's just, man, I want to go back to that little town. It was just so cool, but it's not like one of those touristy destinations that, you would think to go to like, let's just say a Gatlinburg, Tennessee or a Panama city beach or, you know, anything like that. We've just been to some random no name towns that we've absolutely had a blast in that we have big memories of. I love that you mentioned this because what I usually battle is when people say, I hope to travel someday too. I can't wait to go to Europe. And I'm always like, wait, hold on. How many States have you been to? Oh, I've only been to yeah. like two. Well, like, okay. Well you yeah. have enough you can do in the States. And then, even if it's like, well, you know, I, I, I want to go start traveling the States. Well, okay. So what have you done in the state you live in? And it's like, what do you mean? Yep. Where you, and you can micro it down. I love that you microed it down to, I agree with you that national parks are great, but they are really crowded. I mean, yeah. social media has changed the game on people wanting oh, to yeah. go where everyone else is going. And when you can find these small little towns that nobody's going to, you're right. The experience. <laughs> I mean, again, coming from California, uh, I've, I've never had to get reservations in the last three years. I, I don't look for parking anymore. I'm rarely in line for anything yep, when yep. I'm doing these small things. I love that. I, that's a great high that I think we just don't talk about enough because everybody, no. again, they want the, you know, they want the big bend kind of photo. And um, I, I think yeah. I, I might've talked about this on the show that there's Lone Rock in, you know, South Utah, Page, Arizona, Lake Powell. There's this big rock in the yep. middle of the, the lake. Yeah. People drive up, they get out, they take a photo, they get back in the car and they leave. Exactly. And I'm like, just sit for a minute. Look at it. Like, just yep. enjoy it. Don't just take it for the gram and bail. So I love that you brought that up, Scott. It's a really good kind of point. And I bet people might be able to find some of your kind of adventures. I don't know if you guys have personal socials that you guys share, but if you do, uh, let me know what those are and I'll link them down below where people can uh, connect and hang out with you. Yeah. Um, definitely our, you know, our little RV social media is called up for the journey. Um, definitely our biggest follower base is on Instagram. It's just up for the journey. There's also a link on there to our YouTube that we do a couple little DIY reviews. We don't necessarily do the lifestyle vlog type stuff, but we do more of DIY, um, full timer, what to look for, what to, you know, it's just every day, like our microwave broke and we had no clue how to change it up. So we had to learn. So we filmed it. So it's a little mix of that stuff too. Love it. Yeah. So um, I'll link that down below so you guys can uh, find it with Scott and Renee. I really appreciate you guys coming on the show, sharing your story. I think it's an awesome story. And I think it's hopefully one that will uh, inspire people to take some risks that aren't really risks. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. It's not really that big of a risk. It's actually pretty fun. And once you adapt it, I don't want to say it becomes easy, but it becomes less scary. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, you guys, for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having us. 
Well, another great episode. It was a ton of fun interviewing Scott and Renee and getting to know them. And I really do hope that this is an inspiration to anyone that's thinking about finding a way to create a product or a business and be able to monetize it to the point where they can live on the road. It really was a great story. And think about it. It just started from wanting to earn a little extra income to buy some surfing gear. If you want to learn more about Scott and Renee or connect with them, feel free to click the links in the show notes. And also just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying the Rootless Living podcast or the magazine, make sure to let your friends and family know by sharing us on your favorite social media channel. It's a really big help in getting the word out. And if you use the hashtag Rootless Living on Instagram, we'll try to share you as well. And like always, if you think you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com and let's see if we can help tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.